0: Hello and welcome to episode three of season two, or the second year of AS for Architecture, with me, Ambrose Gillick. In this episode, I'm joined by the head of the Welsh School of Architecture at Cardiff University, Professor Juliette Davis, to talk about her new book, The Caring City Ethics of Urban Design, published by Bristol University Press this year.
1: One thing that I really wrestled with was the notion of uncare, because to me it seemed that uncare needs as much theorising, if you like, thinking about. What is uncare? If we think about what an uncaring city is or would be, then that can actually help to think about what care might be.
0: Age for architecture. I a podcast about
2: architecture, buildings, urban culture, and space.
0: Hello, and welcome to Ais for Architecture. I'm talking today to Juliet Davis. Juliet, would you be so sorry i'll correct that professor Juliet davis juliet would you be so kind as of to correct to, to introduce yourself
1: hi ambrose uh thanks very much for having me um so as you've already said i'm Juliet davis i'm a recent professor um in the school of architecture here in cardiff university um i uh i began my career in architecture a long time ago, back in the early nineteen nineties, when I studied architecture at Cambridge, I went through all of the different parts: the so Part One, Part Two, Part Three. All um, at Cambridge? The, uh, no, I did the first two parts at Cambridge, mm-hmm. and then I did the third part once I was in practice in London. So I did that at the South Bank uh, University, um, and I worked in practice for nine years. Uh, for two years with Stanton Williams Architects. Um, and then the rest of the time with Eric Parry Architects. Although by the time I left Eric Parry's, I was already teaching, had been teaching for a couple of years at Cambridge. Um, So I began to segue my my way into academia, really driven initially by a love of teaching um, and a love of engaging with students um, and recognizing the privilege of being able to talk about ideas and develop ideas um and um uh, and set challenges and engage with a wide range of different sites um and then later on once i started doing my phd by a by a real love of um thinking theorizing um looking at urban issues particularly i became an urbanist through my research uh, which i carried out uh, phd level at the london school of economics uh, studying with Professor Fran Tonkis, who was my supervisor, but also learning from a wide range of other people at the LSE at that time, including Richard Sennett and Ricky Burdett. Um, so, yeah, so, so, so then I, um, by 2012, I'd finished that and, 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 and came to Cardiff at that stage.
0: So did you, you did a PhD by research, not, not whilst in practice, but as a, as a kind of a pure academic thing?
1: I did, yes. I got um, an a- a- AHRC um, doctoral award, mm-hmm. which allowed me to do the PhD full-time over three years. And um, and I just about, to, well, I didn't manage to quite finish it in three years. It took me nearly four in the end. But, um, but but yeah, it was wonderful to have that funding. That was a real privilege to be able to really focus on the PhD uh, yeah. for a concerted period of time.
0: See, so- Cambridge I, I know a little of Cambridge and I've spoken to a number of guests who've gone to Cambridge University studied architecture there um, what's the atmosphere there like because architecture schools obviously have their kind of school language and and Cambridge is quite contextual am I right in thinking that is that a fair way of putting it
1: I think that is probably quite a fair way of putting at
0: it it's I mean, not like you know it's not focused on bioclimatic and it's not focused on I don't know uh, digital uh, progressive digital ideas, but it's, it's kind of, yeah, contextual and continuity. Is it his, historicist in its tendency?
1: I don't think so particularly. I mean, there was a very strong emphasis on phenomenology at the time mm-hmm. that I was there. Um, and there was a very strong and clear focus on, on history and theory. History mm-hmm. and theory wasn't assessed through the studio, but nonetheless, there was a strong relationship between teaching and history and theory and, um, and the kind of design projects that were set. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean I've never forgotten my moment of arriving at Cambridge University for the open day because up until then, as a seventeen year old, various people had said that my wide ranging interests would lend themselves quite well to architecture. Um, and I kept resisting it. I thought that architecture was engineering, I thought that it would um it wasn't what I was interested in at that time which was which was fine art, drawing, painting, and so on. and I went to this open day and saw a whole range of drawings on the wall that were a- absolutely distinctive and 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 really reflected what was known as the cambridge the cambridge style at that time of quite layered and worked drawings um quite dark drawings in many ways but but uh, as a result of the sheer layering of information and I, and and design development that had been worked into them And then with a sheet of glass on top of each and typically an axonometric or a detailed section over the top which which was supposed to reflect how design development happens the sort of iterative process the imagination of of place and atmosphere um of use um and then building up to some sort of resolution in terms of a a, of a of a a more um hard line drawing Mm. um and as soon as i saw that set i thought that's that's me that i can do um and um and and so began the journey that's amazing
0: so so a very sort of theoretically driven i mean phenomenology is no is no walk in the park so a very theoretically undergirded undergraduate leads naturally to how does that how does that play out in practice i mean did did you find working at stanton williams and eric parry i mean eric parry is a very thoughtful architect i don't know much about stanton williams but um other than they're very prolific and well known um how does how does a a very kind of theoretically driven architecture emerge in their work and how did you kind of Oh, well, um, I mean, obviously, as a part one, you don't get to do that much, but maybe as a part two, three, you get to kind of get more of a.
1: Well, actually, I did get to do quite a lot at Stanton Williams. I mean, I, I think I had the experience that, uh, that probably a lot of a lot of part one students have of not really having uh, a clear sense of what to expect. Mm. And so I was constantly somewhere between being frightened and being humiliated. Um, on oh, Being frightened at being asked to do things that I had absolutely no clear conception of, didn't know what I was supposed to do. Um, and felt that I ought to and wasn't sure how to ask questions. Um, and then making the tea for meetings and, and, and jobs of that ilk, uh, that made me wonder why I'd done a degree. So I um, <laughs> I think that was my dominant, my predominant experience, at least of my first year in yeah. in practice with Stanton Williams as a part one student, and as a result of that, I stayed in practice for a second year,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, or at least in part. I um, I had a scholarship which didn't work out in the end, and that was disappointing. So I felt that I needed a a, a second year to to um, to think about things, but also to make sure that I. I felt a little bit more settled in practice than I felt yeah. when I first went went into it. Um, and actually, it was great to have done so because just at the end of my fir- of, of that first year, I started working on the um, the regeneration of the National Theatre in, in London on the South Bank. Um, and because I'd been there for a little while, and I knew the team members by then, I actually ended up having an amazing role. Um, and working my th- way through a whole series of interiors, um, mm-hmm. including bars and ice cream stations and seating areas and, and then concrete cleaning packages and things like that, that um, were really enjoyable. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and in those days, of course, a lot of the, the, the design work was done in pencil. In fact, most of the drawings um, mm-hmm. that were involved were drawn with, in crisp pencil. On A1 uh, sheets of tracing paper, um, although the the office was introducing CAD at the same time, and as one of the youngsters amongst the at that time and in, in the team, I, I I I was able to play an important role there as well. Nice. So I went back to university feeling much more confident, much yeah. more on top of things.
0: Yeah, I can imagine so. And so, so you become a theorist. So through the, I mean, I'm really interested in Fran Tompkins and and Ricky Baudet and and, um, Richard Sennett as well. I mean, doing a PhD in architecture through their Cities program, is that right? Yeah. And what was that like? I mean, what's, I've often wondered about that. I don't know much about the Cities program, to be honest. And how does that focus? How does that engage with architecture? Or is that specifically at a sort of, at a larger level? Is that a more meso level kind of, rather than the micro level of architecture?
1: Well, I think, again, I, 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 the reason for going there was very much because it um, my perceptions of the city's programme from people that I'd worked with who'd done master's courses there. And from what I knew of some of the people that taught there, including Richard Sennett, whose work I had engaged with as an undergraduate student and absolutely loved The Fall of Public Man and then later The Uses of Disorder. I mean, those are the two. Those are two books that would absolutely be at the top of my pile um even now um so there was no doubt that at least from what i understood from the outside that 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 the that the city's program really resonated with my interests but then um
0: I mean, what, was your thesis, not, what was your thesis on
1: well yeah. i i'll say so at the time i was living in east london um, and one of the things that I always loved about East London um, and it, uh, it resonated for another reason which is that I grew up in South America and um, and when I moved to East London the multicultural multiculturalism of East London um, felt very familiar and I felt right at home there um, and so I became really fascinated as East London was changing in the late 1990s and early two thousands, and then particularly after London won the uh, bid uh, for the twenty twelve Olympic Games, I became really fascinated in what regeneration, planned regeneration, particularly, and in you know, therefore, what urban design, architecture, would do to the place and how it would interface with the kind of social life and complexity of um, of East London as I inhabited it and knew it at the time. Yeah um so that became that relationship between the spatial and the social which i think is is really key to to the city's program key to how the program was conceived and key to the idea of having a city center in a sociology department um yeah was 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 the sort of uh, was what i wanted
0: to to explore so i um and had that been a change i mean was was the lse program distinct in that had I was going to ask you what's an urbanist, but has, uh, because it's a fair question, because I think for architects particularly, there's an assumption around what urban design is, which is possibly, possibly problematic insofar as we tend to be object orientated and urban design isn't about objects so much as it is the bits between the objects, maybe. Mm. Um, But was, 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 was what LSE was doing at the time particular? Was it new? Was it uh, was it uh, sort of indicative of a new movement in the way that we consider cities?
1: Well, I think that what was very powerful uh, was uh, bringing together uh, urban analysis and understandings of cities uh, of the sort that social scientists develop with um, the kind of approaches that designers have um, I mean, the, the the it made me very conscious that site analysis, what we call site analysis,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, at least at that time, and I think I think uh, generally, a research agenda has um, has made uh, research methods and research methodology much more prominent in architecture schools. But from my background in the nineteen nineties and the early two thousands, that was not really present at all, mm-hmm. and there wasn't really much training in how one goes about um looking at places and um and the sort of subjectivity of one's gaze um and all those sorts of questions which i got exposed to at the lse and were Mm -hmm. incredibly valuable um would have been very valuable if i went back into if i had gone back into practice at that point and have been very valuable for Thinking about, I guess, some of the impacts of um, of planning and mm. and, and the design um, in the places that I've been that I've been looking at.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, and I think this 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 combination of sociology and design I think is an incredibly rich area. And it's, I mean, you've been doing it for a while. I mean, you're obviously beaten a lot of people to the punch in that respect. But it's still slowly un- being revealed, and, and there's kind of pushback, isn't there, in the way that certain parts of cities are still being, particularly London, still being developed in a kind of very, maybe you could describe it as anti-sociological way, a kind of imposition of infrastructure on communities, thinking here maybe of, of course of the London Docklands development, but even the City of London, and I was reading um, in your book, and we'll come to this, I'll introduce this properly in a second. work that's been being done around the shard and borough and bermondsey where there's an absolute absence of kind of voice
1: yeah exactly and uh uh uh, and often not a very good grasp of the actual people who live there or who work there which is really key so um in fact i was reading about this just yesterday in relation to the olympic site reading a, a, a Uh, an author's account of, um, of the way in which the employment legacy of the Olympics was conceived. And one of the key issues that's identified in the text is a, is a difficulty in really getting a handle on 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 the who the exact who, Um, who are the beneficiaries? How is local person defined? Um, uh, What are other readings of the local? And, you know and therefore what are some of the problems of 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 these of these sort of very general gen, general generic characterizations of mm. of people in places that become the focus of regeneration often um metrics such as indices of deprivation are, are used but without attending closely enough i would argue to um anything like closely enough to some of the assets and strengths that exist in those very places, um, including what some of the needs are of those people and the places that they inhabit. And to approach transformation or regeneration from that perspective would inevitably yield a completely different sort of urban environment, mm. um, as well as a completely different sort of process of reaching it. Um,
0: I think that's a really, I, I was I was thinking about this recently with regards some of the words that we use around urban poverty, I've been doing some small research projects around the North Kent coast and and the the Channel region um, on this. And these this have, again it comes back to the, the, this point that you make, which is that uh, defining the terms by which you then characterise people's need themselves is very difficult. Like the word marginalisation or marginal is an extremely external um value judgment that's sort of dressed up in ju- languages of justice but actually implies as i read it as i experience it a whole series of judgments about whether these people because of their socioeconomic status because of the the general deprivation status can have profound and beautiful life and mm-hmm. I, I in, in, in as a researcher I think I'd still struggle with this because you know you go in and, uh, like a white knight on a horse to solve problems um, but there are problems based around a series of words which you are applying them so you know that might not even be real to the people that live there like for example as you say you know poverty uh, mm-hmm. which, which is difficult anyway we are talking here today about and I'm delighted to um, uh, that you wanted to do this because of this book that you published uh, in 2012, it's this year, uh, Bristol University Press has uh, published your book, The Caring City, Ethics of Urban Design, which is a really good book, because it's really focused on design. So this comes back and this long preamble that we've had, me trying to understand, I suppose, where you how you get to this point this idea of a, of a, um, a situated, contextual, um, rich picture, to use a sociology term, rich picture of, of, of what architecture and urban design can do. But you're looking at the idea of care ethics. Um, and I think that's, even though that might seem marginal to architectural descriptions for most of, perhaps, most of the listeners to this podcast, perhaps it would be worth starting off by you explaining the background to, to that particular idea, this idea of care and what we mean by care and how in your book you interpret and perhaps transform this idea and then we can talk about how it's revealed in the urban realm.
1: Sure, yeah. So, um... so what is care? care is something that we all need um, and care is something that we all receive and care is something that is absolutely fundamental to human continuity i suppose those are those are things to say at the beginning because because a lot of people won't have heard of care ethics and particularly in the context of architecture so that can seem to sort of hive it off into a remote little area of scholarship and perhaps rather abstract and, and distant from the reality of practice. Although I've been very glad to see ethics come to occupy more, more centre ground in um, ways of thinking about how architectural curricula should and might develop. So um, focusing on not just on the duty of care, but but on different moral theories that, um, that could help to understand um, what it is that designers do in the world and why mm. what they do is or might be good mm. um, and um so but to just come back to the first point about 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 care, I mean it's a it's a everybody is cared for as a baby and and most people require care at the end of life and mm. and throughout life what care involves and what it um and who it involves. Inevitably, changes from the sort of care of friends to the care of the care of um, you know for young people, the care of other adults, the care that teachers give, the care that doctors give. Um, care is kind of in the mix of everyone's lives, and I think it's only really because because we tend to um, or not we personally, but but as a society, we've tended to marginalise care and put it in the background, not really see it as centre stage. By comparison to other activities, like building a career, for example, um, or um, that that it, that it that it that it could even seem like it's something that's of marginal concern. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but we so saw I that a that lot. I... We,
0: we saw that a lot during during lockdown, where you had the kind of the care worker, sort of characterised as both vulnerable and the worst of all people, and and ca- and care environments as being the nexus of disease and great problems. So like the the whole notion of care, I mean, the word itself is now bound up in a kind of discourse around um, a really problematic series of assumptions and value judgments.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and of course, um, care ethics is um, has been seen as problematic, if you like, um, in in terms of how it has Dealt with that, and how it rec- recognizes um, the, the the ways in which care is practiced, and the problems of of the way that, that care is practiced, regard wherever that is, whether it's formal care in the context of care homes and hospitals and so on, or whether it's um, more informal care uh, that takes place in you know in neighbourhoods and families and so forth. Um, Uh, So over the years, as care ethics has evolved, I mean, this is probably coming on to what we'll talk about later, but, but as care ethics has evolved, it's, 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 it's been tuned to be able to acknowledge those, those issues of care, those problems of care, those ways in which care is less than it than it than it might be, um, and less effective and less, um, less able to deliver what is the outcome of good care, which is that people thrive and flourish. Mm. Um, And I guess that's a really key starting point that, you know, urban design, design, generally, are often positioned as practices that are about creating a better space, a better future, a better kind of stage, if you like, um, for human well being and flourishing. Um, So there's an alignment there between Mm. Between ways of thinking about care, care as a practice, so taken out of particular settings like the care home and so on, but care in much more general terms, um, and um, and 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 what
0: design might or could could do. So your book sets out. You start and and you you go back to. Um, so it's all, this is all entirely new to me. Um, this this whole literature that uh, which. it, which makes it very rich and obviously uh, difficult in in some some ways because it's a new, it's a new literature. But you talk about Carol Gilligan in 1982 develops this idea of a, an ethics of care. So this is a first step in establishing it as an imperative in a way, giving it um, giving it a, a care a status that it hadn't at that point had, and then establishing it as something that we have a moral obligation or an ethical obligation to um, take into account when we're we're dealing with um, social conditions. And and in your case, in urban conditions. And then you use this as a way of interrogating the urban realm in terms of its efficacy of producing or not producing care. And you find it wanting, essentially, Mm -hmm. don't you?
1: Yeah, well, I guess I, what I try to do is I think about, I think about how care is, how care is relevant and how we can think about care in terms of urban design. And I'm particularly keen to not just think about care in terms of particular typologies. So, you know, the care home, the, you know, particular types of care spaces that have already been identified and that people would naturally turn to, Mm -hmm. but to rather think about, uh, different approaches to urban design um, and uh, and what they do ge- in general terms in terms of care. So, you know, care is care is placed, for example, as I argue in my in my in my third chapter, um, care is placed by all sorts of ways of locating housing of locating uh, housing for more vulnerable groups, for children, for you know, so you know, for the elderly, and, um, and has been historically too. I mean, we all know that hospitals are often placed outside city gates, um, partly for fear of contagion, um, and partly for other image related reasons as well. Um, uh, places for the, for, uh, you know, there are all sorts of whether we're talking about tuberculosis sanatoria or, or, um, or other kinds of Spaces for 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 healthcare. um, There's a. It's interesting to consider where they were located and why that was the case. Um, And I think that there's been a real turn in recent times to um, and the projects that I've chosen clearly to illustrate that clearly clearly really demonstrate that. But to thinking about how, how 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 care can be urbanized, how it can be integrated how, um, you know, care can be recognised in a broader sense, so that, you know, housing is in general can be seen as an infrastructure of care, um, and how different sorts of care practices across families and different age groups and, um, and even in the neighbourhood can, um, can potentially come together, and enable us maybe to, um, to, to start to think about a society as able to be caring and responsive or at least alert to the different sorts mm. of needs and vulnerabilities
0: that people have. So I, I really like this word placed because it, it sounds very simple, but it indicates that it is considered and that it is a active action rather than the manifestation of um, organic processes so people are placing care facilities as you say sanatory and hospitals and so on in places that indicate but but then but and and you go through this in your book you develop this thesis in your book which is that as, as you've been saying care is more um needs to be more holistically considered within the wider environment and and I was wondering whether so your 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 book argues for care, implying that modern, shall we say post war? I don't know what the time frame might be, urban form, urban design, urbanism has not placed care or has placed care badly. Mm. Is that is that the case? Is it is it indifference? Or is it actual malintent in some kind of way? I mean, not, well, I mean you know, like, you know, these people aren't wicked, a, but you know what I mean? Answer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a really good question. And actually, um, I, I think there are always things that one wrestles with in writing a book. Well, mm. many things that one might wrestle with the, the least problematic thing is, is the initial idea. Mm. The problem then is the development of it. And one one thing that I really wrestled with was the notion of uncare, um, and um, because to me it seemed that uncare needs as much theorizing, if you like, thinking about what is uncare. If we think about what an uncaring city is or would be, um, then that can actually help to think about what care might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I spent quite a bit of time trying wrestling with that, but in the end made the decision that my focus was on. Uh, was was on grappling with the notion of care and thinking about it in an urban context, and that that was enough for one mm. for one monograph um, because there was really so much to say and yeah. and it meant drawing on so many different literatures from different fields. I mean I was re- you know, I was in the in the in different libraries around the university here, which which just highlighted that. Uh, I spent a lot of time over in the arts and humanities social sciences library. Um, and then back here in the architecture library and and other places too it was very interdisciplinary so um, so I took that on as my as my challenge to really think about about the caring city. I think a, a, a really important model for me in that regard was Susan Feinstein's uh, book uh, the Just City where she set out to do a similar sort of thing um, uh, well I mean you know she was she, reading The Just City really did help to think through what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, and she does, she thinks about concepts of justice, different ways of theorising justice. And then she, um, she takes that into the context of planning theory, um, and then considers what the areas are, or what the themes are, where, you know, justice is most relevant. Um, So I think that's what I'm trying to do as well, although my themes are a bit different. But um, but 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 I'm trying to think about where in the in, in quite general terms, um, care care really relates to what urban design is about and what mm-hmm. it engages with. And the themes that I set out, you know, again, are partly driven by the length of a the book, mm-hmm. there are other themes that could be identified, they're not comprehensive, they're that are they're, they're, they're just they're beginning to set out a territory
0: um, yeah but there is a I mean again there is a kind of so the, so there isn't a uh, an, an extensive um, critique through the perspective of uncare which I think is a quite a useful word um, but there is nonetheless you you kind of take this idea of care and you explain how later theorists of care have, challenged particularly around this idea of, I suppose you might call it a kind of the alienation of modernity, mm-hmm. challenged the idea of the, ind- well, perhaps the individuation of modernity, which is one of Peter Berger's um, characteristics in his in his book, Facing Up to Modernity, taught, in one of the essays in there, he talks about um, individuation as one of these principal characteristics, which other theorists, of course, have written about. Um, and, and what you're talking about when you talk about care is, is a specifically almost anti-individualistic, relational, social um, uh, idea. And you also talk about it in relation to gender as well, which I think is quite interesting. And I was wondering if you could just perhaps talk a little bit about uh, that, that perhaps, that how we've moved from this kind of, I, I don't know how to put it, I don't know what the right word is. I mean, there's lots of kind of easy words that you could throw at it, which might not be very meaningful. But how, how do we get to this point? So what are they trying to say? And where does this come from, in a way?
1: Well, I think it's really, I mean, there are lots of questions in in that. So I'm just <laughs> sorry. The first one, um, which is about the the un, the uni, universality, I, I guess, is that is the dominant theme. So yeah, I mean, I, I modular man for example in le corbusier's work is 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 the is the real model of that kind of thinking the, te- the a tendency to try and distill the person down to mm-hmm. general principles um, which is antithetical to care with its focus on um, situated concrete reality mm. including the situation of the person as they perceive it themselves yeah um, which is really where the care thinking begins to tie back to my um, early undergraduate years and, and and exposure to phenomenology, because I, I think that that emphasis on situation is shared across those, those, those different um, theories, and ways of thinking. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so 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 yeah, so it's a, so it's a, so it's definitely a, a plug for um Uh, a kind of design that is that is that is that is alert to not necessarily to just a particular individuals, because of course, people are always moving through urban spaces and, um, and the built environment always lasts longer than the inhabitation of individuals. Um, So it's more, it's not so much actual individuals as a consciousness of, of difference and relations, um, and awareness of how, um, of how things change. and um, and a, and a, and a strong focus on um, on the particularities of a place,
2: yeah,
1: um, and the way that it is configured, uh, which again ties back to what I was worrying about and became bothered about when I first joined the LSE yeah. and was looking at um, comprehensive redevelopment related to the Olympics in East London.
0: Mm. But I suppose what I would. That's a great answer to a series of somewhat messy questions um, there is in the literature of care as I read it a preponderance shall we say or a um, there's a lot of female authors there are some men but it's predominantly in the in the literature that you've cited uh, particularly in the theorists around ethics of care and I wondered whether there was something about that that was worth emphasizing that there's an i and I, I think you do talk about it don't you that there's this idea well for a start in sort of public mm, i don't know if public is the right word but in in kind of general discourse around care care is something that women do
2: mm. uh,
0: which is one of the reasons why it is perhaps um uh, held in low esteem because it it doesn't correspond to wage laboring doesn't correspond to salaries doesn't correspond to promotion no mother ever got promoted um uh, you know ex- except for perhaps kate middleton um but but so so there's that there is a, a distinct as i was reading it a relationship between um womanhood and a movement towards a more caring ethic, which then we could see is used as a mechanism for interrogating the uncaringness of cities and how we could make them more caring. Is that is that me reading too much into it or is that something that's there as well?
1: No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think there's another thing to add to that, which is that, um, there's a great book and i haven't read it for a while so i suddenly can't remember exactly what's what it's called it's by michael fine and um and he makes a he makes some really useful points about um the private nature of care as opposed to the public nature of care right and i think there that, that coming back to what we talked about at the start about the emphasis on care homes and places like that and on care in the home indeed and so on we we've continued in the architectural profession to and brought more broadly in, in design to, um, to think about care as something that happens in interiors and in houses and so on. And of course, that's really important. And um, but, uh, but what what that neglects is the broader care, the kind of broader care that that all should be responsible for and all are involved in. And that cities are involved in too. Mm-hmm. You know, if people, if children breathe in bad quality air, and it affects their health for the rest of their lives, um, then that's actually care as a public issue. Mm-hmm. It's not just care that um, that is in with with it set within the confines of an individual home or mm-hmm. household. It's not just to do with care in the family. It's care mm-hmm. in a much broader societal sense that. Mm-hmm involves a really complex and wide ranging set of actors. And in fact, that just if I may just to sort of digress, that that's another thing that I really wrestled with in in, um, in writing the book, how to really focus it. Um, so, you know, whether to call it urbanism, urban design was part of that struggle, because because I was really conscious of that when you talk about projects that like streets, or when you talk about shaping air quality, and that sort of thing, it, um, these are really complex undertakings, and they involve many different actors. And they they serve to highlight how incredibly relational, if you like, city making is. Um, so, in the end, I decided to focus on urban design because that's that's one strand, if you like, of the making. It's a materialization of 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 the city. Um, and that brings and clusters all these different actors around it, because urban design is realised through planning processes, is enabled by government, is you know gets backing and support, is financed in particular ways, and the projects themselves became ways to touch on all of that and to sort of highlight the the relationality and and then and thereby, if it's not getting too complex. To show that when we think about care, any kind of set of care relations that is unfolding in space, that actually it relates to all of those complex networks of actors. They're all part of those care relations, um, and um, yeah. So I hope that that's what the case studies help to help to show, yeah. as well as to highlight something about architecture and design that it's very far from being about the you know the lone genius the the problems that we've had in, in in architectural education for such a long time that we've continued through our teaching practices to emphasise an idea of my project, my ideas, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and, and the primacy of that. Whereas in fact, um, you know, perhaps we should be teaching something much more to do with the relationality of the of um, of the context that students mm-hmm. will go into in practice and by engaging with that to really understand the nature of responsibility and, um, you know, the incredibly collaborative nature of
0: yeah.
1: urban production.
0: I think, I mean, we we, we struggle um, with our students with getting them to even consider doing group work. Um, and we obviously have to have them do group work. Um, and it's something to do with the marks, but it's also something to do with, I think, the fact that that no part of their education up till that point has really emphasized um collaboration in their primary or secondary education i mean they might do playing in the sandpit together at kindergarten but after that there is a a definite process towards individual individualization of all education then you bring them into university and say guys it's all collaborative and uh there's no preparation for it at all. And it becomes very, very difficult thing to do. But this yeah, this idea of the co-productive quality or the synthetic quality of the urban realm, I think it's really beautifully described. And, and the, as I said at the beginning, the case studies that you use, you, you describe in a very architectural way. And I, it's one of the things I particularly liked about this book. It's very scholarly and theory-driven, theory underpinned. But it is also a book that helps us understand how caring urban space and caring architecture um can occur. And I was wondering if there are any particular case studies that you felt were perhaps the most um transparently illustrative from the urban scale to 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 perhaps the architectural scale within within your within the cases that you
1: no mm. oh, well I fell in love with all of them. Um so um and I think uh well I mean you
0: even went down to see Aravina's stuff in ecuador
1: is it ecuador no i didn't go to ecuador Did um, you? Go? i would have loved to have gone to ecuador i i didn't though uh i, w- I went to to india ah. i went to aranya in india uh
0: um, ah, aranya housing yes of course and that
1: was absolutely that was that was a fantastic trip um
0: that's Bal Krishna doshi's aranya
1: housing, yeah yeah uh uh yes yeah, so, so um but uh I think it's worth saying that I wrote quite a lot of it in lockdown. Um, so at a time when, for all of us parents um, with busy lives, care and and work were just completely conflated. So whether that helped or not, I'm not sure. But certainly it made me think a lot about care and how how on earth one it com- might combine in the same space, caring responsibilities with, with, with trying to think. Um, and I, and I couldn't go to any of the case studies during that time, so I had to rely on all the data that I that I had to hand. But the other thing that I did, and perhaps it was because I of not being able to go anywhere, but I read a I read a huge number of novels during the time that I was writing the book, and part of that was to try and get a sense of narrative into the case studies, to try and sort of imbibe a sense of narrative uh, uh, through my reading and to um and to tell them as stories that you know that hopefully people could enjoy um mm-hmm. so while thinking about the theory and um and about what care might mean in the context of these different themes and and different settings, cities, case studies, um that they might also just enjoy something of the story of
2: mm-hmm.
1: of how those ideas had come together and how the places had had unfolded. Because I felt that that was absolutely essential. Care is always a process; it's not a fixed thing. Um, it's not something that can be ticked. Um, it's something that um, that that relies on the process and that brings together constantly a sort of process of making, a process of living, of maintaining, um, and.
0: Um, I, I like this idea of being inspired by novels, which are, uh, of of, of course. Um, about relationships fundamentally aren't they is in that the sort of fundamental difference between a novel and other types of literature is that it's about the kind of social relationships to be inspired by that what particular books were you reading which ones did you find inspired you the most i mean oh. one i've been reading at the moment <laughs> the one i've been reading at the moment that inspired me is a is a book called kristen laven's data by a a Scandinavian author from the early 20th century uh, called Sigrid Unset which is about a, mm-hmm. a woman it's a trilogy about a woman and she won the Nobel Prize for it in the 20s So she's a woman so you don't hear very much about it but um, uh, extraordinary story that combines a, a profound sort of uh, l- love for the landscape with the social relationships built into urban uh, into built infrastructure and it is an extremely clear description of perhaps this this idea this so in the second provocation I, I sent to you, I was asking about this is is there a little bit of a i suppose a little bit of a a straw man here which talks about, for example, the uncaring nature of the alienating suburban domestic realm mm.
2: um,
0: which doesn't actually correspond to the reality of the experience of dwelling in it. No, obviously, uh, uh, rather, that is a a cultural and literary kind of trope that we use to to explain the nature of suburbia, but actually for people within suburbia, in suburban houses, they find themselves tied into a series of other types of networks, which are just as relational and just as in the case of your book, just as, Uh, supportive of care and providing of care as as perhaps some of the case studies that you use which are more um consciously yes
1: uh well isn't that just the perpetual
0: dilemma um
1: Mm. of how amenable and um and flexible space actually is uh you know space it's quite clear that's quite similar sorts of Typologies and um urban fabrics yeah. can actually be inhabited in very different ways and therefore be interpreted very differently as well.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and um and, and and that ties in with the sense that you know the the architect cannot actually prescribe everything. Mm. So um uh so you know, and I think that's a dilemma for thinking about care actually as well. Um it was certainly something I wrestled with. Uh, and, and one of the projects that I wrestled with it in um, was the Saga Fabrique project in the third chapter, mm-hmm. which is so, um, so specific to individual people and to individual groups that it's in danger of becoming both exclusive by having failed to recognize a particular group, however mu- much it, you, the designers and, uh, the, and the the housing group tried, mm-hmm. Um or of actually building around individual people so specifically that it becomes brittle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah, the you know I think that's a really that's interesting a, that's word to yes. yeah. Um...
0: yeah, that's a really interesting word. This idea of brittleness, I really like that. Actually, it's a. Uh, um, but I was I was yeah thinking about these these so to go back to Bal Krishna Doshi uh, and the your housing, you've got this idea of a. He, he, as the architect, as the, as the designer of the urban realm there, is, is instigating or um, initiating uh, an organic process of future development. So he's mm-hmm. designing this kind of model of a house which can be. And I, and I wondered whether. And, and this comes back to your point you're making about how people interpret their environments. You know, a suburban environment could be actually a very rich and rewarding care environment, given other things by for certain people, um, perhaps, perhaps um when you're looking at something like the london olympic park you've got an extremely top-down process which employs sociologists and uh, ethnographers to kind of mediate that but at the same time it is fundamental it was going to happen you know they were going to spend 30 billion pounds and it was damn well going to happen come hell or high water um so that some people could run around really quickly um uh (laughs) <laughs> still haven't got my head around the london olympics but anyway um but so so how does how does the organic does the organic materialize care more effectively within urban environments mm-hmm. or and is the role of the urbanist in this situation to provide a framework in which natural processes of care are more likely to occur rather than um designing care in a kind of clinical way and i i, I want to get well, I think the, I think the Aranya case is
1: a really good one for exploring that because that is the, that's the project in the book that is that is that defines least what the end result would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean literally as many of those houses began just as a concrete foundation and mm-hmm. a tap
2: yeah. um,
1: and the means of sanitation um, with people being able to build shelters around them, in many cases over, over time. Um but attention to environmental conditions and to the um, organic nature uh, of development in um, informal settlements is very much there. I mean there are some extraordinary drawings that were produced by the research team in Doshi's office mm-hmm. um, characterizing those kind of development processes. Mm-hmm. and a real understanding too, therefore, of how lanes and um infrastructures of, of pedestrian movement develop in them um and the sorts of land uses that they accommodate the sort of cultural spaces um so the 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 little temples the the the, the places for hanging out washing the social spaces for children to play um cricket and so on and um and all of that is there all mm. of that kind of is there latent able to happen. So it's very different from, you know, just a completely infrastructure led um, development that might Mm -hmm. be just determined by the most efficient ways of laying out Mm -hmm. water pipe work, or, um, or streets, there's a there's there's a sort of consciousness of, of how this thing could unfold. And yet, an allowance of um, quite a bit of flexibility within Mm -hmm. the framework for
0: the houses that take very different forms um does that get does that get is that a lesson that's more broadly applicable for example is it picked up so you talk about Yangella at another point in, in the book um mm-hmm. is that picked up as a as a desirable outcome is that a universal desirable outcome or is that so this idea of a placed care environment is that very specific to the context in which though she is designing does it have broader application or how does someone like Yangel, who is seen as being a very good urbanist with a very kind of um, uh, a big heart in a way, a very good social conscience and a social focus. Does that. Is that enabled within his environment? Is that a consideration?
1: Well, I think a good example, a good analogy, and it's not one that I talk about in the book, but a good analogy is our good old terraced houses in the UK, mm. which um, Which have proved to be very adaptable and very flexible and that i mean you know i know people who've lived in their terrace house for most of their lives um they probably aren't that amenable to mobility issues given steep stairways and that sort of thing but they def they certainly can be reconfigured and there are so many different examples of them to to highlight that but Many of them are not particularly attuned to climate and changing climate and to light and shade conditions and so on. And so I think it's possible to imagine that there could be a a real care of, if you like, attunement to those sorts of conditions, the sort of kinds of spaces that that are created and to the sort of comfort and experience that sensory experience that they afford, mm. without necessarily foreclosing the possibility that people can chop and change things around and yeah. and move walls around or knock through rooms and um, move furniture about. And so there's a um, it's, it's very tricky, because there's a that implies that there's a I mean, that's why the next case study in that chapter is really useful, because there's a kind of generosity to the spaces in that um, in that as well as diversity, lots of mm. different kinds of types that people can choose from the sort of ethic of choice, if you like there. But then there's a generosity and, uh, and a holding back from prescribing and defining absolutely everything that gives scope for users to Mm. use their own imagination to, um, to create this the to to use it to help fashion the sort of social and um, cultural conditions um, that they would live in yeah um
0: but that that then it, that's where the urbanist's role comes in isn't it because obviously there are these um if you allow that and i've seen this in in, in informal settlements and you see this in architecturally designed schemes by leading architects i'm thinking sort of number 1 Hyde park for example where you actually get um a preferencing through, through I mean that's not obviously an organic environment it's quite the opposite but but you get a preferencing of a series of um uh, assumptions about um personhood which militates against you might say militates against caring environments so 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 the urbanist the designer is there to kind of make sure structure the entire environment so that it doesn't militate against, say, for example, women with prams, people with Mm -hmm. mobility issues, uh, heavier people, um, young people, whatever it is, older people, any particular group. So the the urban designer has to then create. And that that might look like things like ramps that aren't too steep, or it might look like curbs that aren't too high or, or, or are or are high mm. enough to stop cars parking on them or it might look like green pathways through cities mm. um, or it might look on the, on the domestic scale like ensuring everything is level access so you can you can innovate individually in your within your home as l- as long as there's a downstairs wc and that is accessibly designed with a decent sized door that opens outwards so it's kind of like It's a kind of complicated problem, isn't it? And it comes back to this idea around domesticity as well, that the the interiority of homes, which is, uh, in in Fine's book, you you mentioned, the interiority of homes becomes an actual extension of urban logics of care.
1: Mm -hmm. Like the, the,
0: the, the threshold of the home is actually, has to be mediated by regulation and design.
1: Yeah, exactly, and um, yeah, absolutely, and of course, in the home also, how care is practiced in the home is very, um, you know, the 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 state is in is in that environment too Mm. because of the ways in which the sort of societal norms around who cares and how, who's responsible, who cooks, who cleans, Mm. who um, who takes care of the children. Um, So it's all very much in in that environment as well it's Mm -hmm. it's funny the sort of tendency to regard care as a private matter is is actually wrong because even even in the settings where it is um most made so it is the result of societal pressures and expectations yeah um yeah Um,
0: so we i mean i i was also Wondering about this, so you talk about materiality later on in the book. You talk about this idea of materiality of, of it, yeah, materiality as care, and I wondered if you could unpack that a little bit as well, because I think that's something that when we think about when we think about care, we think about building regulations, or we think about kind of technical things that would make care more possible. Like I said, you know, heights of curbs and things like this. Yeah, uh, well, there's I- a much more designerly quality to this as well
1: yes exactly well i think i i found um i mean i found my way into this through sociological literature rather than design literature and, and perhaps that's something to address in future work that i might do but um so that it's clear to architects what you you know perhaps more clear what what points i'm making but i found that the sociological literature that i encountered and there was a book um by christina booze and um Daryl Martin, Sarah Nettleton on materialities of care that came out, I think it was 2018. I talk about it quite a lot in the book, um, and their their starting point was recognizing that in any care setting, um, it's not just people that are that are that are involved in the care, but a whole range of different materials that are involved and that can help um, somebody experiencing that care to feel more or less cared for. So actually how uh, a glass of water is presented can be significant in a in a care in a in a in a in a medical setting Um, or the the feel of an instrument if it's cold if it's uncomfortable if it hurts um you know these materialities the 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 metal the temperature and so on are are really important to the experience of that being invasive or, or caring or you know um and so on so i i found that a really helpful way of thinking from a different disciplinary perspective about um about care and, and in the context of the uh-huh. design um and it was really thanks to that book that i that i started to approach the themes and the chapters in the way that in the way that i did um and they talk about well they talk about materialities as in, including those sorts of things like tools and furniture and um and um, you know things in a in 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 a in a in, a, in an environment um, and settings that start to get into much more the sort of spatial characteristics of places, um, how a waiting room, for example, might be configured and how crucial that is to the experience of waiting, to the sort of emotional um, resonance of that experience, whether it's an anxiety provoking, whether it's actually a social space. Whether it feels connected to other places, whether it feels connected back to everyday life in some mm-hmm. in some sense some senses, and I think I talked about that a bit in the context of the case study in Singapore in chapter chapter four. Um, yeah, well, especially waiting rooms, for example, because mm-hmm. there is one in that in that in that chapter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah so, so that's look, that's how materiality started to come in into my work. Yeah. Um, And, um, and then I start and then that was the that was the point at which I realised that it was possible to talk about design, as you know, as I went on to do towards the end of chapter two in, in that in that sort of way, as, um, as, you know, as involved in care, if you like, on the one hand, so um, with the sort of the materialities of design, the products of design, being involved in care and shaping the experience of that care through the way that they're configured. Um, but also design as a process as being key because of the all the different sets of relations that are involved in the production of of any particular project. Um, and therefore being part of that care in in in, in, in a sense.
0: Yeah. I like i mean i really like this idea of i mean i like the word materiality i think it confuses people uh i think people reject it a little bit because it sounds a bit like saying materials plus sticking something on the end to make it sound cool but um but i like that it, it implies design consideration and i i think that's a really important part of what you're what you do in these stories of these cases is that you demonstrate how the architect's intention to be caring is realized through the process the normative shall we maybe call it the normative process of design, which is, as you've said, um, is co-productive, relational group work mm-hmm. um, it is group work but I was wondering also whether that all started to started to indicate things around aesthetics is there is there are, is beauty a component of care in design? Is this an important aspect? The way things look, the way that light comes in a window, the way that the materiality of a wall is enhanced or subdued Mm. by natural or unnatural uh, mechanical um, electrical lighting or or fire or whatever it is. Is is this something that we might start thinking about as well?
1: Well, not in terms of a sort of theory of aesthetics that would be prescribed, then it wouldn't be. But in terms of. In terms of a more experiential, situated, alert to the reality of the the person, of personhood, if you like, yes. and the differences, and well, profound differences in the way that people perceive things, from the way that they perceive sounds to the way that they perceive light and mm-hmm. colour. Um, so again, it's it, it care introduces all this complexity and and um, and consciousness of. Of, of difference and subjectivity. Um, so I think beauty is 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 really important because um, because people perceive it and uh, but I think it's, I think it's really related to the sensory experience that people mm. have of place and it's, and it's incredibly variable um, and culturally specific as well as individually as well as related to 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 to, to individuals
0: yeah wow. individuals as socially situated beings
1: mm.
0: not, not as in iron Randian and fountainheads um yeah. i mean of course you you know when we when
1: we sit around in a crit looking at or a review looking at student work we you know we will often say that such a you know the drawings are beautiful um and 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 we seem as tutors to know what we mean and that's partly our training it's partly our you know experience yes exactly it's a hubris or arrogance um and but it's also to do with a, a set of other things that it would be good to tease out more closely about about the balance between different elements the use of color the the clarity of the image um the the adherence to certain conventions um so, um, but I think in terms of, in terms of architecture, I think, I, th- I think, I think, I think I think there's a real need to tease out how people, especially people who are going to live in places, mm-hmm. really experience them, the sort of aesthetics, aesthetics from their, their perspectives. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, yes, I think it's really, I think it, it, it's going to give me a lot of, a lot of, um, ammunition for going into the the coming academic year in terms of how I kind of engage with the students. And it, it, I actually genuinely think that this could be a, it, your your work um, is part of a wonderful growing literature around decontaminating that abstraction, that high, high modernism, perhaps late modernism, certainly. And, and, and the way, you know, things like the high tech kind of way that center, city centers have been being developed. Um, we, we can start actually challenging that in a kind of meaningful, empirical way. Mm. And I think that's a really delightful, a really wonderful part of this book. Um, Thank you.
1: Well, I think that's that kind of, uh, I think the idea of, the, of a theory of practice is quite, quite good too, because it's not, it's not theory as in an abstraction, it's a sort of theory as in trying to think about um what caring means in a in, mm. a in a in in a particular context and very aware of complexities and contradictions and of the need to constantly understand it through everyday reality and through the specificity of a case of case studies mm. um so um i mean that's what i think is very strong about the sort of fem- the feminist uh uh, idea of the case study of being able to focus on something quite specific and situated, go into a lot of depth, um, and then draw out something from that that is of wider relevance, mm. but constantly alert to the to the contingency of that, to the capacity for new knowledge to come to light, for new ways of thinking to emerge, um, and for the conversation and the story, if you like, to to to, to keep unfolding.
0: Fabulous. What a wonderful point to stop on. Thank you so very much, Juliet. That was a, a really, if you had planned a conclusion, that was a beautiful one to have. So thank you very, very much. Um, thank you.
1: That was a really nice conversation. I
0: enjoyed that a lot. Hot dang, ain't that a thing. Thanks to Juliet for her excellent book and to Bristol University Press for the e-book. Please see the podcast description for links to Juliet's profile, the book, and a link to a YouTube video of Juliet speaking during a symposium on designing cities for all. And of course, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow and share. A is for architecture everywhere. Cheers.